0: Big Adventures with Brian Durker is brought to you by Humphrey Summit Ski on the corner of Beaver and Elm and in Grand Canyon Spirits on Humphrey Street in Flagstaff.
1: You tuned in to Big Adventures with Brian Durker, and this time we have one of the real stars of my life as far as one of my inspirations around this uh, podcast. And uh, Reg, thank you so much for sitting down with me this morning. Um, I'd like to start off with uh, everybody realizing that Ritz just came off the river yesterday. Mm -hmm. Came off a river trip. How long had it been since you've been on the water down here?
0: Uh, Well... Uh, I started guiding in nineteen sixty nine
1: yeah, and, same uh, year I did. Oh, you, you're yeah, kidding. yeah, oh, we must have
0: seen each other back then. We did we had to there weren't there weren't that many guides back then. back
1: then, I saw you. you didn't necessarily see me. <laughs> <laughs> oh no wow.
0: <laughs> yeah, so but I did it for seven summers uh, and um and then I came back twice uh, at once I did a, a trip probably 25 years ago for the Denver Museum of Natural History. And then 20 years ago, I did one for Peter Guber and Pierce Brosnan, James oh, wow. Bond, yeah. and Tony Robbins and Mark Burnett, who produced The Apprentice and Survivor. So it was kind of a celebrity-packed trip. So I I did that as a, and that a short one.
1: What, that was the last one you've done since? That the was the last one I've done. That was the last oh, one. Oh, that's crazy. I know. And before we get ahead of ourselves, um, I always like to find out who somebody is uh, starting at the roots of it. Like, uh, you're the tree. Let's go down the trunk real quick and go down into the ground. Uh, Where were you born? So I
0: was born in New Haven, Connecticut uh, at uh, uh, the campus of Yale University. Uh, And my father was one of the early recruits for the CIA. Uh, Almost all of the um, original recruits came from Yale because Alan Dulles, who was one of the first directors, really the first director, had graduated Yale. Dulles, yeah. And he only trusted people from Yale. So my father was recruited. And this may have—I'm talking about roots. This may have—his occupation may have inspired me in some fashion— uh, exploring the world, particularly the developing world, uh, and um, uh, we moved very quickly to to uh, Bethesda, Maryland, uh, which is very close to where the CIA headquarters are. Uh, and I grew up, you know, listening to stories of places that you know I could only imagine
1: covert was, operations. Yes,
0: uh, yeah, yeah. He was involved in in the 1953 coup that reinstalled the Shah in Iran. Which has had ramifications that exist to this day.
1: Yeah, but wow. I,
0: I was inspired by him, and but took a different path. Clearly, oh, I'll tell you a, a cool story because you just showed me a, a picture of somebody in a C one, um, in Bethesda. So this is this is kind of interesting. We lived across the Potomac from the CIA headquarters, and my father and a few others started to canoe to work uh, across the Potomac, and uh, they helped. Create this or, this organization called the Canoe Cruisers Association, uh, which had several hundred members by the time I joined, and we'd spend every weekend going up and down the East Coast in the Blue Ridge, the Shenandoahs, the Appalachian Mountains, and canoeing these 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 waters. And I went to a chapter meeting, uh, and somebody had or a group of them had come back from from uh, open open boating, open C one down the Colorado River, and they showed these Super 8 videos that just blew me away. I thought, wow, I've never seen anything so huge. And I knew, you know, then I wanted to go see that. They claimed, I don't know if this is true or not, that they were the first group to do C1s down the Colorado. And, of course, I asked who outfitted you, and it was Hatch. So I immediately sat down and wrote a letter to Hatch and said, I would love to come work for you. Uh, and, you know, I knew I needed a resume. And I'd been on rivers all up and down the East Coast. And there are several that have the same names out here. So there, there's a Green River back east. And there's a, there's a Salmon River. So I listed all these rivers I had done. Um, <laughs> purposely left really, it vague. Yeah. <laughs> it
1: didn't over-detail it. Yeah. But before we get ahead, because we're yeah. going to get there real soon. Okay. As far as the river elements, But uh, so... Tell me a little bit about your high school and and what sort of a childhood uh, you had there under the management of the CIA or well, whatever. Well, I mean, you, come you're,
0: on, you are delving. Now. Yeah,
1: I, I uh, would like to know about your childhood. Yeah, and well, everybody that's listening is pretty interested in it. Too. Yeah. Uh,
0: well, I was my mother was an active outdoors person, so she loved to go camping and hiking. Uh, so we spent a lot of my youth, you know, going up into the, the Shenandoah Mountains were very close to us, uh, and caving. We did a lot of spelunking when I was oh, in Oh, wow. K. Cool. And I even started a club in high school called the Raft Club. You know, talk, talk about the impression. Um, because we had set out uh, to build a raft. We were reading Huckleberry Finn in high school, and with a group of friends, we set out to to build a wooden raft and float down the Potomac River through the rapids. And we started cobbling together this raft out of fallen trees. And we were about to launch this thing, and a park ranger showed up with a double-run and and said, Get out of here. Um, So we um, uh, didn't do the trip. But we had told the newspaper, the high school newspaper, we were going to do this trip. And they called us up. The editor called us up right afterwards and said, um, how was the trip? And we thought about it for a second and said, well, let's just play with them a little bit. So we described this hallucinogenic trip down the Colorado, down the <laughs> Potomac <laughs> so, River. And he ran me. the story, but we never really ran the river. <laughs> but after that, we started to actually run rivers in, in makeshift rafts, um, including you know the, the little Sears uh, ducky type
1: rafts that you could buy. Anything you could float in. Yeah, huh? yeah. So. Oh, very cool. So,
0: yeah. I mean, you know, looking back. There, and this was a, in your high school years. This is in high school, so there's almost a through line all the way through, you know, that started with these this, these early water experiences.
1: Like uh, every other addict, Rich, Like You're every right. other addict. I, I know. I'm not looking for the cure, though. No, <laughs> we don't need we we don't need to wean ourselves, yeah. do we? And so, uh high school was good. You had a, a club you did you enjoy uh, the education part and and did you uh, sign up for college?
0: Yes, yeah. so I went to Northwestern, in, oh, yeah. in Chicago yeah, um, and I would say that uh, you know, I felt a little bit out of place, a little bit awkward um, i I did what I could to get out. There's a river called the Apple in Wisconsin, not that far away. Yeah, oh. the
1: Apple. And isn't there a river, the Fox?
0: The Fox? I didn't. I don't think Did I ran the Fox. Read that? Yeah. yeah. But I know we went down to Ohio and ran some some rivers, but they were all pretty, you know, meager compared to to what I had experienced off off the eastern seaboard. Um, and then that's when I I got the the job. I was 19, 18 when I, when I got the job working for Hatch. And the contrast between being a river guide and then going back to Northwestern and being just part of the matting crowd, um, you know, I felt kind of shy and awkward and really didn't know my place. Uh, But you, you know, I think any, any Grand Canyon guide has experienced this. You, you are interfacing with extraordinary people in the most extraordinary of settings uh, and they are equals or, or or even, you know, looking up to you in some profound way. So I remember my first couple of years, I took down the editor of Chicago Tribune. And my school was just north of Chicago. And he was kind, kind of a god to most people in Chicago, the editor of the, he had so much power. And here, you know, we are trading secrets and and I'm showing him how to set up his tent, and you know he's asking me all these questions. And I'm going, I would never have access to. Oh, no, like this.
1: The, the access is remarkable. It uh, was incredible, and I
0: took down the Lone Ranger. Oh, did uh, you? Yeah, uh, and I took down um, the head of MGM, Bo Poke. I remember his name, and he would, would regale about all these these actresses and actors and Julie Andrews he used to date. And oh, uh, lord. And and I'm going. This is. This is such an unbelievable juxtaposition between going to school, trudging around in the snow with a bunch of people with whom I felt I had little in common, and then going off and 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 being a river god, you know, in some senses. <laughs> uh, and it is a,
1: it's a, and that's why so many boatmen go into uh, depression after yes. the season, really, yes. because they they aren't as uh, big a deal as. As everybody else, yes. And, yes, uh, and that's a very serious subject. Yeah, and, serious uh, subject. So, um, but uh, you uh, got a degree at Northwestern then? I did, yeah, yeah. And uh, what was that in, journalism?
0: No, it was in English literature, but I oh. did go to graduate school and ended up with a degree in journalism. Uh, and I even was working towards a doctorate for some silly reason and ne- never achieved
1: that. Well, you didn't achieve it because uh, that's— what I want to segue into uh is what you were afflicted with as a young man became a, a the let's call it the grand obsession yeah and uh uh for the listener, uh, I think rich, you're probably uh the one that can represent exposing the globe to rafting and he did that through different means, I'm going to let you explain it, but just as an intro to that, he created with some partners a company called Sobek, which was uh, just a remarkable group of people uh, and boatmen, and you went all over the world and did exploratories yep. and uh, created a, a, a global travel action sport yeah. business. And, and the, uh but truly, so many parts of the world that you went, it was their first exposure to rafts and ki- kayaks and all that. And so I, I'll hand it off to you. But for the listener, uh, it's a remarkable story here. And this is a, the first of a two-part series with Rich. Um, but I would love to just, if you could walk us from Northwestern into Sobek in this next uh, yeah okay. little phase here. okay
0: well um i um clearly uh, uh the the axis of my identity spun uh to to um to river river guiding uh during my school years and and upon graduation that's when you you decide are you going to go to law school or are you, gonna, you are you going to take a gap year or whatever i uh, and uh, I was so in love with this concept of rafting that there were th- three things, I think, that, that motivated me to, to take the, the expertise, I think, that I developed and the equipment that was, was available. It was relatively new, this, this concept of whitewater rafting, uh, to, to really far away places. The first was the British Army had decided to do a descent of the Blue Nile in Ethiopia, and they called it the Grand Canyon of Africa. So that resonated right there. Uh, and there was a book they published. This was in 1968. They published a book called The Blue Nile Revealed. And in it, it, it chronicled how crazy and in, insane and and in many ways stupid uh, this attempt was. It was an army expedition, and they have no no whitewater rivers in the U.K., so they would practice on the Dee River in Scotland, which is a trickle of a stream, and on, on the on the lawn of Sandhurst they would capsize their boats and jump back in. Nobody had any idea what they were doing, and the the expedition was a disaster. Uh, and there was death and many injuries, and they 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 were they had to pull out. They didn't finish the trip. So I read this book and said, you know, God, I could do that. Um, so that was kind of the first motivation. The second was my my best friend in high school, um, John Yost. We had done all these East Coast rivers together. Uh, and I brought him out to be my swamper when I finally got a job at Hatch. And it turned out his father became the DCM, the Deputy Chief of Mission, the Vice Ambassador to Ethiopia.
1: So, oh, wow. The yeah, plot thickens. Yeah. It thickens.
0: So John was able to fly back and forth in on holidays at, at government expense and he wasn't as in love with rivers as me and he you know would look around the country and it's a it's it's a it's the tibet tibet of africa it has an average elevation of about 8000 feet with a lot of rainfall in the rainy season and these enormous rivers fall off of all the compass points of the plateau none of which anybody had ever run with the with the failed attempt of the blue nile the the one Exception, but the last thing and and really the real motivation for Sobek came from Ron Smith. So Ron Smith had done an expedition with National Geographic down the Colorado River. You might remember
1: this. Oh yeah, yeah, I remember it.
0: It was a spectacular spread. One of I think one of their larger ones. The photographs were mesmerizing, and you could tell that the the partnership was very successful. And then somehow, Ron Smith, or Geographic, I think it was Ron, came up with this idea of doing the first descent of the Omo River
1: in Ethiopia. I didn't, I never realized that Ron, and for the listener, Ron Smith is the, he started Grand Canyon Expeditions with a guy named Dick McCallum. Um, Yep. Yeah. And, but Ron, Ron's a big name in Grand Canyon. And, yeah. But I, I had no idea he was involved with that. Oh, Oma. boy, was he
0: involved. And they published a brochure. So I first became aware of this when I got a copy of the brochure. And it was, you know, join us on the river trip of the century, the first descent of the Omo River. And if my memory serves, they were asking, I think it was $3,000 a person to join this trip. And it was a joint venture with National Geographic. To so it thing. was
1: a joint venture, National Geographic uh, Grand Canyon expeditions, first descent Grand Canyon expeditions with paying customers. Yep. So <laughs> I know it was. Yeah. And, you guys didn't have much ambition, did you? Well, we had. Yeah, we had. <laughs> we had
0: nothing to do with it at that point, but that was certainly something that sparked a lot of interest. So John Yost and I got one of those driveway cars, and we drove to. Um, to Kanab, where, where Ron Smith is based. Uh, and we got a, a meeting with Ron and, and sat down and I said, look, you know, I've been a river guide now here for several years on the Colorado. I think I'm eminently qualified. I'd like to be part of your crew. And I'd like to bring John with me. Um, uh, and he, uh, you know, hemmed and hawed and said, well, you know, we have, I haven't picked the crew yet. Um, you know, why don't you check back with me? uh, in a few months. So the season was over. So I went up and saw him in September and, and it was going back to school. And he said, you know, and you know, you're a little on the scrawny side. Why don't you see if you can buff up a little bit over the winter? And (laughs) he said said this to me. I took that seriously. I went back to Northwestern and enrolled in all these, um, these courses to, to buff up and, and, (laughs) you know, drinking the shakes and, you know, trying to get up. And I, I did. And I came back in the spring before the season started. Um, uh, and you know, probably was in the best shape I'd ever been. Put uh, a few muscles
1: on, I did, did I did,
0: which was kind of unusual for me, but <laughs> but um, not exactly Rambo, but, but but certainly you ought to
1: see this guy. I mean, it's yeah. this is a podcast, but you ought to see this guy's buff, <laughs>
0: uh, yeah. <laughs> so, um, uh, so I, sh- I show up at Ron's door and I go, Hey, you know, I'm ready, you know, I worked out all winter, um, sign me up, I really want to do this trip. Um, uh, and he goes, well, you know, I chose the crew and I I gave the last slot to my brother. Um, so I'm sorry you can't go. Oh. I, I came out of that meeting and I was pissed. Um, so I went and called John and I said, you know, I think we could do this on our own. You know, we don't have to go with Geographic or Ron Smith. So we started to cobble together, you know, all the elements n- needed. I had this vague idea that expeditions were sponsored. So we started this letter writing campaign, uh, and we got lots of people to sponsor us. We <laughs> said We're, we are going to pre the river trip of the century, <laughs> and we got Holcomb Industries. If you remember those oh, guys, So your
1: whole intention was to go to the OMO and scoop there Before their, them yeah. before them six months before. Something.
0: Oh, I mean, it, I mean <laughs> that we just put, so a fire, cool. put a fire, put a fire. That in, is in, so in, cool. Into, into both of us. So we got uh, we got a life jacket company. We got Holcomb Industries to contribute the rafts. Yeah, the rafts. Yeah, and um, and we got a magazine to sponsor us, Saga Magazine. So, so you know, we would write the articles for, um, uh, but still, good
1: name for a magazine.
0: I know it was one of those sort of semi-mens <laughs> magazines back then where. You know, so, some half-naked woman is 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 watching this as some guy with with a Bowie knife is battling a bear in the front or something yeah. like that. <laughs> um, but um, could uh,
1: easily be a rafter without his shirt it, on it was, and some cut-offs. Could, could have been it, it could easily. Have
0: been, yeah. We um, didn't have any money. Um, you know, we were river guides. Back, oh yeah, that back then we were paid twenty-five dollars a day. Uh And uh, tipping was not a culture back then. So $25 is what you you got. So we had very little money. John Yo's dad had access to something called the APO, the Ambassador's Post Office, where you can ship anything back and forth for free. The U.S. government pays for it. Uh, So we got all of our equipment shipped over there for free. Oh, amazing. Through the U.S. government. Clever,
1: Um, boys.
0: Well, uh, good connections. That's that's what did it for us. And then we went to... um, a bucket shop in New York, because I don't know if you remember, but airlines were regulated until Reagan. And so they all had had to have the same price point to fly to overseas. Um, this thing called IATA, the International Air Transport Association, monitored and made sure that, that there was no competitiveness going on between the airlines. And it was all really high priced. It was $1,200 or so to fly to Europe. And the only American airline allowed to fly was Pan Am. Back then, Uh, all other airlines were 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 mandated to be domestic only. It was a strange, very different world. The only way around it was to um, be part of an affinity group, who would charter a flight. And if you charter a flight, you could you could ask any amount of money. So, like a religious group, you know, is going on a pilgrimage, or uh, often a sports team. So these bucket shops showed up, where they would make you for. $30, $30, they would make you part of an affinity group. So I joined a rugby team, and uh, uh, and we got a ticket all the way to Africa for $150 round trip.
1: Oh, you knew what you were doing there? Well, That's I mean, a it, good
0: one. Yeah, it took some, took some research to figure this, to, to crack this nut. But we got over there. We had equipment, and we had um, uh, some Grand Canyon guides um, who were friends. Uh, and then we... we Headed down the the Omo River, and it was remarkable. Um, it's f- similar to the Colorado, the Grand Canyon, but there's so many other dimensions to it because you get the wildlife, you get there's all the wildlife, the, yeah, all the African wildlife, including hippos and crocodiles. And a crocodile bit one of our rafts on the first expedition, which was hair raising. Um, uh, and then, and then you 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 pass through these cultural areas. Where the, these tribes people have had little, if any, contact with the outside world, they had no idea they were in something called Ethiopia. They 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 live in these steep river valleys um, with no access to the outside world, and they have the lip plates, the giant lip yeah. plates, and the massive scarification. Uh, and so we met these people, and they were just astonished to see people coming down in these alien. Crafts um, who looked nothing like them.
1: Well, oh, can you imagine the impact that would have to a person that's lived in the uh, the condition Yeah, th- for not generation. conditions, but yeah. in the work forever.
0: I mean, they never t- t- totally like you know, high impact deal. It was there. like a Martian landing, you know, in, in Flagstaff. So, um, and everything about it. The, the, you know, so we have Deer Creek Falls in the Grand Canyon. There were there were just a parade of waterfalls coming off this, this escarpment that were. Hundreds of feet high, you know, all over the scenery was just remarkable. Um, everything about it was 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 just utterly spectacular. And and we got off the trip, and uh, kind of two things. One was can't leave this behind, you know, can't go back to graduate school or law school or something. This is just what a discovery this thing is. And secondly, I thought, well, maybe Geographic will now let us be part of their project. So I went back to Geographic. I remember walking in the front door. I had no appointment. I went to the receptionist, and I said, "I'd, I'd love to talk to somebody about the Omo River." Um, and she called up and got some probably mid-level editor come down, and and I said, "Look, I, I just got back from the Omo, and I've got all these photos. Uh, you know, I'd love to show them to you and see if I can contribute or or help you out in some way." And he called around, and we ended up in a big conference room with Gil Grovner, who was the head of Geographic at the time. And the editor in chief was there, a guy named Andy Brown. I remember this, and I went through the whole expedition and showed them everything. I'm a terrible photographer, so um, uh, I had aspirations that they might use something, but you know, they they weren't. Yeah, they're kind of
1: they're kind of uh, snubby about. uh, They were very photography,
0: (laughs) Uh, but they were shocked uh, that I had taking the thunder out of the, the last great first was another name they were using for this thing. <laughs> uh, the, last the last great, great second. <laughs> I know. I,
1: and so— um, Oh, that's fantastic. I never heard this story.
0: And, and there's a little end to, end to it, too. Uh, you know, at the end of my presentation, I said, look, you can use any of my images, and I'd love to help you out, go back. I, I can tell you anything you need to know. And they were very gruff, and they said, well, we'll call you if we need you. They escorted me to the door, and—, and and that was it. Never heard from them again. And I think I was on their blacklist for a long time. But they went and they did the expedition, and they did it several months. Or we did ours in March, which is low water, um, and they ended up doing it in September, which is high water. And they got down on the river, and they had their most famous African photographer, a guy named Alan Root, was on it to shoot it, this extraordinary first descent. Um, and they knew it was a lie at that point. Uh, but they were doing it anyway. And, and of course, during the rainy season, all the wildlife goes to the highlands. It's not by the river. So they had no shots of wildlife. The locals go up to a little hot plateau. They don't need to be down by the river. And the rapids are big. And so they flipped uh, one of their big boats somewhere, let's say a third of the way down. And Alan Root lost his cameras and all of the film. So, oh, my God. So, the article of, uh, of the last great first, the River Trip of the Century, never ran. Uh, was, so, it never ran? Never ran. That was the end of it. So, I, I called him up and offered him my photos again, but <laughs> that didn't work.
1: So. <laughs> they, they hated you even they did. worse by then.
0: <laughs> but, you know, cut to 40 years later, we ended up being the outfitter for National Geographic Adventures. So, for 10 years, we ran all of their adventure travel program, which was kind a, of cool. a,
1: a different president
0: a different completely Completely everybody was gone by by then who knew me so (laughs) so
1: so, yeah but so you do the omo then you've got the bug you've got that international bug and uh so give us a little substance as to the roots of soback and how that formulated as far as the name i we can see where you're going with the inspiration and the and the format but uh Talk to us a little yeah. bit about that because it's great history.
0: Well, we um, – one of the sponsors that I was, I was looking to get was the Smithsonian because I grew up in the D.C. area. Um, and so I, I went to the Smithsonian and I, I was asking around going, you know, who would be interested in sponsoring an expedition to an unknown corridor in, in Ethiopia? Uh, and somebody steered me to the entomology department saying, we think they could be, and, and they were. They were going, you know, we, we don't have any insects from from that part of the world. It's a big gap in our collection. You know, we would love it if you would collect things. We, you know, we'd like to be involved. And then they asked me, so, but what are you calling your expedition? I have to fill out all the forms. And at that point, we had decided we were going to call ourselves the RAW expedition, R-A-W, standing for Reconnaissance of African Waterways. And But there were two other reasons why we thought that was kind of a cool name. One is that Thor Heyerdahl had a documentary film that had just come out called "The Ra Expedition," Ra, he, named after the Egyptian sun god, where he was trying to prove that that um, Egyptians crossed the Atlantic over to North America on papyrus boats before before the Vikings. Turned out, I mean, the entire thing was- A little
1: bit of a reach there. Very, <laughs> very long reach. And the boat never
0: banked, made it. It sank, you know, but they made a documentary out of it and it was released. So, so, but it was on people's minds, R.A. We were R.A.W. And then the last thing was, this was an era where everybody was streaking. So David Niven had just uh, um, hosted the Academy Awards or, or was one of the presenters, and with a, a billion people watching, some naked guy ran right behind him. Sort of a famous incident in the in the history of the Oscars. So people were talking about streaking and and being raw. Um, but our guy at Smithsonian l- heard me, listened to me, and said, "You know, I, I can't fill out a form and say we're sponsoring the Raw Expedition. That just doesn't fly for us. <laughs> you need to find a better name for what you're calling yourselves." So I. Went to the Library of Congress and started reading about all the ways you can die running an African river, and there are many. Um, uh, they have, they've got many diseases in the water. Schistosomiasis is one that's affected millions. They've got um, malaria. malaria. They got sleeping sickness. Uh, they've got you know the, the hyenas and and the lions and all these these land-based predators that. Uh, legendarily will, will come to your tent or sleeping bag at night and pull you out and eat you. Um, and then the locals along some of these rivers um, had very fierce reputations. This one group called the Danikil have a man, manhood right where you have to go and cut off the testicles of an enemy, enemy and then wear them on your belt to prove that you've done this a testicular trophy. That uh, is a mean tribe. That was the Danica. And we um, you know, whenever we saw the, the Danica, we'd bring out harmonicas and, and wave Give at them. them and be very happy and <laughs> and hope that we were not considered enemies. So <laughs> Yeah,
1: you don't want to be their enemy. Uh,
0: and then of course the the hippos and but and the poisonous snakes, you know, of the, of the of the twelve most poisonous snakes in the world, fourteen are in Ethiopia. So we, we, uh,
1: <laughs> that's, that's a list goes <laughs> on, right?
0: Uh, but the, the thing that was most frightening and has killed the most people are the crocodiles. Their instinct is predation. They've been around for 150 million years. Exactly. Perfect killing machine. And, uh, and, um, they, <laughs> their, 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 their only, their only goal in life is to get meat, uh, and they have very poor eyesight, too. So if they see, a, like, a gray boat floating down the river—
1: That's got to be a baby hippo? That's or exactly a...
0: it. That they think it's a hippo, and they charge out for it. So, but I read that the ancient Egyptians also had problems with crocodiles uh, going up and down the Nile. So they worshipped a god, Sobek. Uh, and if you worship Sobek appropriately, uh, he would give safe passage— up and down the Nile. And I thought, well, that's it. We, we, we it's, it. it's got to yeah. be Sobek. You know, we're out, we're on tributaries of the Nile, ancient tributaries of the Nile. And, um, if you ever do the Nile trip, uh, there's an island between Aswan and Luxor called Komumbo, where they have the Sobek temple. It's a beautiful temple where they, they made all these sacrifices and, and homages to, to Sobek, um, and we went there for one of our anniversaries and, and you know, left our our tokens of appreciation to Soba because he's, you know, so far, knock on wood, uh, nobody has died of a crocodile bite, although many of our rafts have been bitten by crocodiles over the years.
1: Um, um, you know, that is a, just a great lead to the, that, the origin of that name. Yeah. I mean, that's really cool. I, I was on the... Mono pools. Oh, Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, I had my mom on the canoe with me, (laughs) and we went by this uh, little tributary stream in the grasses and stuff. And I pointed out to my mom, look at that little baby hippo. And it was the cutest thing you ever saw up in there, their wiggle. And right about the time she swung over. And looked at it. We were pretty darn close, you know, yeah. probably within 25 feet of yeah. this little hippo. All of a sudden, with a flash, this croc chomped the little baby. Oh, you and saw that? Dis- yeah, and it disappeared into the water. Oh, my God. In God. this writing, you know, they, yeah. they roll over. Yes. They scissor their prey yes. by rolling over. And, yeah. oh, it was an emotional... Terrible. <laughs> God. Well, your mama, she must have been shocked. <laughs> she goes, "Why did you show me that? Like I knew it was going to happen or wow. something." Wow. Yeah, it's crazy. Wow. And so Sobek is born. Yep, um, Sobek is born. And then uh, what were some of your earliest? Uh, there was the OMO. Did you go do the OMO again?
0: Not right away. I I came back and we we took a couple of ads out. We didn't have. We still didn't have much in the way of money, so. It was cheap to take a uh, an ad out in the, in, uh, in The Wall Street Journal they had a Thursday travel section um, you know advertising you know, the Omo, the greatest river trip in the world or something like that and and we actually got clients. so we we came back and and ran a commercial trip and Bart was on that that first commercial trip right yeah. so you know we r- recruited some of my friends from the from the Colorado.
1: And what month did you do your first commercial trip on the Omo?
0: I th- think, I think it was October at that point. And the water had been coming down at that point from its peak. I think the peak was August. Uh, so it was, it was higher than our, our first descent, but it was, it was still very, uh, very doable. Very reasonable. Yeah. yeah. And the wildlife had been coming back. We saw everything uh, on that, on that trip and that, that sort of, Got us going. who Was like, wow, let's uh, you know, r- rather than let's put on a show, let's start a company. So, well, and
1: that's where I really remember you guys going over there and doing the OMO, and the stories started filtering in, and and you guys started doing more and more and yep. more. What was uh, another fairly targeted place in the early days there?
0: Well, it was interesting. We made a film on that first commercial trip. Um, uh, and again, we patched it together. It was a friend of mine who was a, who worked in a hospital, but he wanted to be a documentary filmmaker. So we brought him along, uh, with his 16 millimeter gear and we made a film of the Omo. Um, and it turned out to be a pretty good film. It, we ended up, um, uh, getting it on PBS. Um, and I think A&E at one point, several years down the road, but it was, um, it was a really good film, uh, and uh, Bart features prominently in it. Uh, and we, um, I took it to the Explorers Club in New York, and Lowell Thomas was head of the Explorers Club at the time. Uh, and I showed it to him and a few others, and he was astonished. He goes, wow, what an amazing thing you guys just did. Um, uh, and I said, well, where would you recommend we go next? because Lowell Thomas had spent his whole career exploring the outer reaches of the planet. And he goes, well, my favorite place is New Guinea. I've been there several times, and it, it has this primitive state of grace that you can't find place else. People are as pure. Um, uh, you know, the culture is uncorrupted, uh, and it is magnificently beautiful. Um, and there are many, many rivers that have never been run. So,
1: Oh, we, yeah, there is a target. I'm- yeah,
0: so we we um, we got our our boats together, uh, and we shipped them over to New Guinea, and we started doing a series of descents uh, uh, throughout you know the island of of New Guinea, and and uh, had you know all the the early adventures that that first descents offered back then, you know there were no there were no satellite photography there were, there were no cell phones. Uh, so it was basically... And
1: probably limited on topos and...
0: Very limited on everything. So we would essentially find... We'd try to figure out from some sort of topo what the elevation loss was because that would give us a sense as to whether or not...
1: this thing is. Yeah. yeah.
0: And then we'd find a bridge uh, on, a, on a map and that would be our put-in and we'd find another bridge somewhere downstream, 100, 200 miles and that would be our takeout. And then we just... we. Take a country bus, usually, to the put-in with our gear on top, load it up, and then head on down and see what we found along the way.
1: Did you ever—were you ever uh, do aerial uh, we did. observation of places? and
0: We did. Uh, I mean, you know, as, as time went on, we—our our methodology, uh, my personal interest was in the exploratories. But we discovered that if we found a river that was that was uh, viable, um, that we would turn around and print a brochure up and distribute it. Uh, and and what I what I forgot to mention was I needed an, another partner in this. So I I had known George Wet from the Colorado. So I I went to George. Actually, I I sent a letter to every outfitter in the Grand Canyon. Now now that I recall this saying that we were looking for a partner because we needed more boats and and access to more guides. Um, And of the 21 outfitters I think who were licensed then, the only one who showed enthusiasm was George, went. And I, you know, I had known George um, and liked George. So we got together and we shook hands and he provided the boats for our our first commercial expedition uh, and nominated a couple of guides, Jim Slade and um uh Robbie I'm forgetting Robbie's last name but um George became a full partner in this in this whole enterprise of, of Sobek
1: right now I remember that um and so uh boy you were off to the races there yes you yeah. guys had it going on you were every time i looked up you, you know i had a friend going somewhere yep
0: yeah. Yeah. yeah we were i mean that started like two decades worth of Non-stop exploratories. So we would do the exploratories. We'd offer it as a commercial trip, and the monies from the commercial trip would help us finance the next exploratory. Yeah. So we just kept going. We did the first descent of the Indus. That was in 1979, I think, the the first descent of the of the Euphrates in, in Turkey, uh, also a Grand Canyon area, uh, first descent of the Churu River, the first descent of the Biobio, Bio, which is in the 70s the first raft descent of the Tachinchini River with BART. Um, and and the catalog just kept growing.
1: And, yeah, no, it was fantastic. And yeah. I, all along, I was in Grand Canyon and had yeah. all these opportunities myself because yeah. of all my friends. But a uh, fantastic story of, of growth and, and global exploration. Yeah, you know?
0: yeah. And we, I, there, were, there was no profit. I mean, I was living on food stamps for a lot of the, the early years there. It was, it was everything was, it was just a passion. It was like, we want to see. We
1: call it an addiction.
0: Okay, Rich. it was an addiction. It was an addiction. <laughs> you know, there were no thoughts of trying to make a real business out of it. It's, you know, this is the coolest thing in the world. Let's it, do it.
1: Yeah, yeah. I paid for your next fix. Yes. Kind of deal. Exactly. Now, was Yos a partner?
0: Yes. Oh, yeah. Just yeah. Yeah. John was my, my first partner in, in, in Sobek and, uh, and we had concocted a lot of this together. He wasn't with us on the first few exploratories because he had decided to, to see if he could open up an import-export store of African art. Um, even though we concocted the idea of Sobek in my basement in, in Bethesda, he was a neighbor and, and, and he did our first logos, et cetera. He, you know, he stepped back for the first year. But then he came full, full back in, and he's, you know, he's he's still you know, one of my closest friends, and
1: oh yeah, you know. no, and I, it would be great, maybe on our next visit, you got to uh, get John, yeah, well, and yeah, maybe we could get you two in the same room, and I'll that fly would, over, and we'll sit down. That would be fun. That would be a blast. Yeah, yeah, yos, yeah. man, that would be so cool, um, and so. As Sobek went along and got bigger, and you had a, a deeper brochure as far as offerings and stuff like that, it became a business.
0: Yes. Yeah. There was some turning point. And I think, you know, George Went uh, was very much a businessman. And so he gave us some discipline uh, and direction. And he, I think, his wife, Pam was always complaining that we were spending too much money and losing too much money doing so back then, we should try to do something to, to make, make a profit. Uh, you know, I lived on, uh, in the, in the boathouse in George's property, uh, in the Oars property. Uh, and we, um, it, this is an Angels camp. At one point we started getting too much mail for the post office. Um, you know, they said, um, the, the box won't hold, 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 your, your mail. Um, what we'll do is we'll, we will put all your mail into a big, um, container a, every day. Uh, and, and we will, what do you call it if it's not a box? And they go, well, uh, you can, you can make up any name you not, you want. And, uh, and we will keep it in the box and you guys come by and pick it up once a day. So we named our little area, uh, one Sobek tower. And it was on all our brochures, of course. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you know we'd have we'd have ministers of tourism from some country where we were working, come over and and drive up and go. Where's the tower? You know, well, <laughs> it's in the lower forty. You know.
1: <laughs> well, thank you, Rich Banks. Uh, Rich had a plane to catch, so uh, we got cut short on that. But we're going to have Rich back soon. Uh, because we haven't even scratched the surface on that interview. But uh, anyway, this is uh, Rich Bang's Brian Durker, Big Adventures. Stay right side up, you guys.
0: Big Adventures is produced by Brian Durker, Margaret Knight, and me, Gavin Bogner. Bill Gleckler and his mandolin provide our music. If you like our show, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.